Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. And welcome to the show. Welcome back. We love this feature where we get to speak to notable physicians in our area. It's an opportunity for you to call in with questions or comments at 203-333-942-DAY. And today, 9422. And today, the subject is the brain. And even brain surgery, it's not that often we get to speak to an actual brain surgeon. Joining us now is Dr. David Gordon, who is the chair of Northwell Health Neurosurgery Westchester. And he's going to speak about this brand new Center for Advanced Procedures, what it means, what it means to us in our area, if this is something that we need to have done, what are the resources, Dr. Gordon is the regional chair of neurosurgery for Northwell facilities in Westchester, the chief of neurosurgery at Phelps Hospital, a chair of neurosurgery at Northern Westchester Hospital. He attended Vanderbilt University School of Medicine. He did his residency in neurological surgery at the University of Washington. He continued at Albert Einstein here in New York. He's had different fellowships and other kinds of tons of credentials. Dr. Gordon, welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show today. Hi, hello. Hi, Lisa. Thank you for having me. Well, it's a pleasure. Um, you know, yours is the kind of profession that I hope never have to know. Do you know what I'm saying? I bet you get uh, that course. at parties. Yes. No, yeah. it's, a, it's a strange job where you, you talk to people and you, you hope that they never have to see you. Yeah. Exactly. And you are the one, you're in there, you're the one doing brain surgery, right? I am the one doing brain surgery. That's correct. When, when we do brain surgery today... Are you, are you still like in the brain or is everything like with a camera and you're directing these tiny robots to do things for you? So that's a wonderful question. Uh, there, there are different kinds of procedures that we do. Um, certainly the traditional brain surgery as we think about it where we need to open the skull and get into different regions of the brain using a microscope, that happens all the time. However, uh, there have been significant advances in the development of more minimally invasive techniques, uh, catheter-based techniques, radiosurgical techniques that limit the uh, amount of, I guess, this maximally invasive surgery that we still do to a certain extent. Um, 
robots themselves have not entered the neurosurgical picture as much as they have in, say, general surgery or urology, but oh. they are on the horizon. Oh, so that's interesting. So what is this thing called biplane angiography? What is that? Thank you for asking. So actually, it, it relates to these catheter-based procedures that we do predominantly for cerebrovascular diseases. Uh, so there are structural problems that occur in the brain. Uh, I know you've had Dr. Sani on and Dr. Yeah. Cerulli, and we've talked about stroke and the, mm -hmm. the procedure called thrombectomy, where we remove clots uh, that are blocking blood vessels in the brain. But we, we are also able to treat uh, problems such as brain aneurysms or vascular malformations that occur in the brain and the spinal cord uh, using catheter-based techniques, whereas 25 years ago, we were doing open surgery for all of these problems. And the biplane angiography suite is a state-of-the-art uh, piece of equipment, and it's really a, a huge uh, setup where we're able to image in real time two directions uh, of the brain blood vessels, uh, and that just increases the amount of accuracy in terms of what we're seeing and therefore the complexity of what we're able to do using very small catheters and devices to treat these problems really through a needle stick in a blood vessel as opposed to uh, you know, going through the skull in an operating room. So let me ask you this. We're chatting with Dr. David Gordon, 203-333-9422. I have a very, very close friend. She's in her early 70s, and she was diagnosed as a result of, of of symptomatic tremendous headaches. So she went to the doctor, these headaches, headaches. She's been diagnosed with a chain of several aneurysms that the doctor says so far they want to keep watching because they're not really in an operable place. But it's sort of like well, living so with a, the ticking time. That's an interesting uh, uh, set of information. So, you know, brain aneurysms, whether or not they're operable, uh, that that is less of a question these days as to because we we can usually reach places that in the past maybe were more difficult or more dangerous to reach but there are many aneurysms that uh, confer little risk to the patient and therefore even though we have low risk procedures to treat aneurysms the, the risk of the procedures can sometimes be greater than the risk of just watching the aneurysm. So oh. it, it very much makes sense. The majority of patients in whom we discover aneurysms are observed with surveillance imaging over time, with regular appointments. Um, and that relates more towards uh, characteristics of the aneurysms themselves, the size, the shape, or morphology of the aneurysms, because we know a lot about the natural history of aneurysms and what confers a greater risk of the aneurysm bleeding. And that's really what the question is. What's the risk of this aneurysm bleeding in this person's lifetime? And if that risk is exceptionally low, then it makes sense to monitor the aneurysm to ensure that it doesn't grow as opposed to put somebody through a procedure that may not be necessary. So, Dr. David Gordon, so this woman, my friend, is enduring these headaches. She's obviously now you've got, it's sort of like a looming, ticking time bomb. You never know when you, when you have a diagnosis like this. Sure. Is, is there anything that can be done short of surgery to 
dissolve the aneurysm? And what do you want to do with an aneurysm anyway? Do you want to dissolve it? Do you want to soak it up? What, what do you want to do with it? These are great questions. So uh, an aneurysm represents a weakened portion of a blood vessel wall, and aneurysms can occur anywhere in the body. Uh, when we're talking about brain aneurysms, we're talking about predominantly aneurysms that arise on arteries that, bring, that are bringing blood to the brain, and they usually occur uh, at branch points. So there's some form of uh, stress, hemodynamic stress or blood pressure head that results in the formation of this little balloon or a blister. And that balloon or blister is the aneurysm. That aneurysm, when we uh, recommend treatment, the idea is to uh, reduce the risk of that aneurysm bleeding as much as possible. The way to do that is to allow the blood vessel to heal by eliminating blood flow into the aneurysm itself. So oh, wow. this can be accomplished in, in several different ways with open surgery, which we've done for many years, and we still do in a select uh, targeted group of people, of patients. We place a spring-loaded metal clip across the neck of the aneurysm or the opening into the aneurysm, and by doing so, we close the inflow so blood can't get into it, and then the blood vessel that it's arising from heals from the inside. And so that's a very uh, effective way of treating an aneurysm. Of course, that involves open surgery, and that involves a recovery from open surgery. Uh, the, the majority of aneurysms these days are treated using catheters that are driven using fluoroscopy or live x-rays, which is what our new Center for Advanced Procedures at Phelps is capable of doing. And those catheters are then driven into the blood vessels that are supplying the aneurysm. So if you imagine kind of a, a, a road map uh, or highways, you're, you're driving through highways and then you get into the back roads and then you find where your target is. And we can, there are several different devices that have uh, been developed to block the blood flow into the aneurysm or change the nature of blood flow in the brain so that aneurysms will involute or disappear and then the blood vessel will heal over. So in some cases, we're filling the aneurysm with, for, say, soft metal coils uh, so that blood can't get into them. Or uh, alternatively, we're placing devices uh, that are similar to stents, very similar to what the cardiologists use in, in the coronary blood vessels. But when we place these stents, they change the flow dynamics so blood flows away from the aneurysm and the aneurysm heals. So there, there are different ways of reducing the risk of the aneurysm bleeding, but they in, incorporate everything that you just mentioned. Wow. But our our biplane uh, angiography suite is what is necessary to be at the cutting edge at uh, the state of the art of being able to treat these problems safely. Dr. David Gordon, where does the catheter go? Does it go through the groin? Where do you put the catheter? Another, another great question. So, uh, yes, uh, we can go through the groin. There's a, we all have a pulse down at the top of our leg. It's called the, the femoral artery. Uh, and that is one access point. We also can go through the wrist or the radial artery, oh. uh, which is the site of access that the interventional cardiologists usually use. Uh, so either way, we're able to drive specifically developed catheters for neurological procedures. So we're using different catheters and devices uh, and wires to help navigate the catheters 
they've been developed for neurosurgical procedures um, and are different than the interventional cardiologic devices, similar in concept, but uh, different in form. And then we also have the capability with this new uh, center at Phelps of uh, partnering with our vascular surgery colleagues who, who treat very complex problems in the rest of the body um, and uh, our interventional radiology colleagues who do the same thing. So many different procedures can be done. Uh, when you're accessing blood vessels, though, you're exactly right. You need to find a point of access so that you can then safely navigate your devices to the correct uh, target. And so the wrist or the groin is where we go. Subtle results, still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. We're chatting with Dr. David Gordon, the chair of Northwell Health Neurosurgery in Westchester, 203-333-9422. We're talking about aneurysms. We're really talking about the engineering of brain surgery. It's, it's quite... It's quite extraordinary, really. Um, Dr. Gordon, where did you grow up? Cherry Hill, New Jersey, so in, in the greater Philadelphia metropolitan area. Did you play with a lot of Legos as a kid? Were you sort of like into building stuff and mechanical engineering and stuff? Like, did you always display, you know, or, or very fine motor skills with your hands? Did you always love this kind of thing? You know, it's, it's a, that, that's a great question. Um, so the answer is no, uh, I, I didn't. I think the closest that I came to, uh, you know, using or performing hand-eye coordination skills are when video games came out, oh, the home yes. video games. And I remember getting the first Atari, and I <laughs> liked video games. Exactly. But I wasn't uh, right. a Lego or an Erector set uh, kid. Um, you know, I played some sports uh, and and then uh, and then loved my Atari, uh, but I really didn't make the decision for neurosurgery uh, until I had already made a decision that I wanted to be a doctor, uh, that I wanted to study the brain and neuroscience. Uh, it was really a moment in medical school when I, I uh, observed uh, an aneurysm surgery. Uh, in the operating room that I had kind of uh, an aha moment 
Um, but if you look back at my past, I, I, I'm not sure you'd find much that would tell you that I would wind up where I am. That's cool. Well, that's cool. You know, um, Dr. Gordon, my uh, sister-in-law, who is now uh, 60, how old is she? 67. Um, she she had an aneurysm at 19. Uh, and then, and and at the time, she was in Mass General Hospital and they literally did nothing but let her stay in a dark room for a couple of months. That's mm-hmm. what they did. Okay. That was their treatment. She came out of it pretty okay for whatever, however, what it was. And I think she was on a medicine called Inderol for a number of years. And then at 26, she had another episode and that was worse um, because they never could get rid of the aneurysm, right? So, you know what I mean? So, um, and that was worse. And then in her 50s, um, she had what I would call like almost a full stroke. And uh, in the sense that she'd never recovered her, her speech. And she's, so she speaks as if she's drunk or slurred all the time. And um, as a result of which, it completely changed the functionality of her life. Um, yes, because I'm sorry if, about that. Yeah, because if you can't speak clearly, you can't really work anymore, you know? And so she had to retire, and she lives in assisted living now, and she's only in her 60s, and, you know, she uses a walker and whatnot. And she's, she's oh, in person, she's actually pretty good, but on the phone, et cetera, not so good. So here's the thing. It turns out that what we thought was an aneurysm and was – was later discovered in life, much later, that she had this cavernous malformation. Does that make yes. sense to you? And, and so she went to that famous um, place in Phoenix. There's Burroughs, I think it's called Burroughs. The Barrow and, uh, Neurological Institute, yes. That's it. And she had a famous guy who I met with. I went to Arizona to meet with him, do the surgery. But it was after this third event that I'm telling you about. And what he said was, that all he could do was cauterize and stop further bleeding, but he could never restore her to what she was prior to the incident. And in fact, he did not. And I'm just wondering with, and this was just a few years ago, maybe in the last eight years, I'm just wondering from what you know, is that still the truth that once people bleed out, there really isn't much we can do to repair what's been injured? Well, so it's it's a great question, and I'm I'm, uh, I'm sorry about this uh, this uh, course and the, these things that have happened in your sister-in-law's life. Uh, you know, I, I think that in general, from a, a surgical perspective, we are in. Uh, you know, our, our job is to prevent an additional event from happening, and so. Um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure I know who you saw because uh, it, it's a very small world very small. neurosurgery yes. in yes. general and certainly mm-hmm. vascular neurosurgery specifically. Um, but I, I don't disagree with anything that was said in, in the sense that, you know, operating on the cavernous malformation and removing it or cauterizing it, uh, you know, or operating on an aneurysm and blocking it from the circulation uh, or an arteriovenous malformation, which is another kind of structural problem in the brain. If these things have bled and caused damage that have resulted in functional problems, surgery is not going to fix those functional problems. Now, having said that, there have been wonderful uh, neuro specific, neurologically specific teams that direct rehabilitation 
that uh, direct secondary stroke prevention and, and that put patients and people in positions to maximize their recovery. So while surgery can't do that for somebody like your sister-in-law, um, the, the concept of there being uh, separate silos of neurosurgery or neurology or neurorehabilitation, these silos are, are, they need to be and are being broken down. And, you know, it, it, at Northwell and specifically at Phelps, we view ourselves as one neurosciences group that are directed uh, to the patient at the center of the care. And so the technicians like us, like me, um, you know, our job is to try to limit the amount of damage or prevent uh, events from happening, but we're working very closely uh, with uh, our vascular neurology team uh, that's led by Dr. Sani, um, with our neurocritical care team uh, that's led by Dr. Celine DiMatteo, who's wonderful, uh, with our neuro rehab team, and, and at, I think really the most important people uh, that are involved in the care of our patients are the, our uh, advanced care providers, our PAs and nurse practitioners, and the nurses um, that are helping navigate, uh, the, or these patients navigate through these difficult uh, problems. But, but yes, I think what you were told is correct, but it doesn't mean that's the end of the story. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Dr. David Gordon, one other thing before I let you go, and I really appreciate your time today. Are you somebody, uh, is this center some someplace where people would go if they have a brain tumor? So, yes. In fact, um, you know, the what we have developed regionally for Northwell in Westchester is the capability of treating any form of both vascular neurosurgical issue or any neuro-oncologic issue or brain tumor. So, uh, you know, myself and my partners, uh, Dr. Silva uh, is a neurosurgical oncologist uh, and is a, a, a fellowship-trained brain tumor surgeon. Dr. Ross Green is a fellowship-trained spinal neurosurgical oncologist, does very complex spine surgery for tumors. So absolutely, uh, you know, our Northwell facilities are where people should be directed to receive this kind of complex care in the community. Um, we're capable. Okay, and I have, I have one other question, Dr. Gordon. This is coming from a listener. I, a listener says, I have chronic sciatica, um, and, you know, it's not the brain, but it's sciatica. It's the nerves. <laughs> you know, um, is, is there something that you know in your toolbox for that? Because... Um, What's happening with this listener is he's saying that he's um, he's getting patched up a lot, you know, with shots in the spine and shots in the spine, but then the pain alleviation wears off and the problem doesn't seem to be resolving. Well, so I think that he uh, he's doing the right thing right now by getting these uh, minimally invasive and non-operative, non-surgical uh, methods to try to uh, help him get through these periods of exacerbation. But uh, but certainly uh, our our spine center is comprehensive at Phelps, and and um, we work very closely with our pain management specialists, with our rehab team, and then with our neurosurgical team. Uh, we, you know, surgery is sometimes the answer. Uh, it's always the last answer. Uh, okay. But I think that that imaging to see what the, uh, which he may have had already, um, to see if there's a structural etiology for the pain that can be uh, targeted with some form of intervention, whether it be minimally invasive or uh, an operation to re- relieve pressure on the nerve. 
Um, imaging is important, and then having a comprehensive team from a rehab, pain management, and potentially surgical option work uh, together to help him through his uh, through his care. Um, so, so that, that's, you know, that's your approach. Take, it's a team approach. It's Sorry. a team approach, uh, and sciatica could be a problem with the nerve, or it could be higher up in the spine. A very common uh, herniated disc can cause the symptoms of sciatica, and it may be that if the disc doesn't resolve on its own, that a small operation can relieve the pain. Okay. Dr. David Gordon, the chair of Northwell Health Neurosurgery at Westchester, thank you so much for this conversation. We learned a lot. Oh, it's my pleasure, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Dr. David Gordon on the Lisa Wexler Show. We'll be right back. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at lisa at lisawexler.com.